And the hard skills are those things around content, media, analytics, right? All the, the marketing tactics, but also not only learning that for digital, but starting to spend time on the brand side. So you know, it's okay to, to zigzag a little in your career and go, go do a stint working on brand or working on product or working on a different part of the business. You've got to have breadth and depth. And I think a lot of digital marketers just really focus on depth and you're really good at one to two things. But that means that get okay at four or five other things and it's going to make you a really strong marketer. Welcome to episode 39 of Clicks to Bricks, the podcast about multi-location marketing. I'm your host, Rob Reed. My guest today is Alan McGee, and he's vice president of digital marketing and technology for Church's Chicken. The focus of our chat is digital transformation. Alan arrived at the QSR brand about two years ago and started with a blank slate. Fast forward through the pandemic, and they're heading into the third and final phase of this journey. A big part of the challenge here is sequencing and getting the entire restaurant tech stack to integrate from online ordering and local listings to a customer data platform, social media playbook, mobile app, loyalty program, and so much more. So that's what you'll learn about in today's conversation. Alan McGee, thanks so much for joining us on Clicks to Bricks. Rob, thanks for having me. So where does this podcast find you? Coming from Atlanta, Georgia. So where it's nice nice and spring and a little polony. Yeah, so you're in the home office. So what's the what's the current status on on the office situation? Currently still remote, though, you know, talking about plans of how we flex going back starting this summer and into really Q3. So a lot of those discussions underway, but right now still remote and really thriving. I'm, I'm loving the flexibility. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Same here for sure. Less travel, more flexibility. Mm-hmm. So let's start out as usual with a fun fact about Alan McGee. Most might not know. So fun fact, everyone's gotten different habits and tried different things over the past year. And two things that are kind of on the different spectrum that I've gotten into is one is coffee and I've always liked coffee, but now I bought all this coffee equipment. I've got four or five different blends. I'm making it different ways. Like my whole coffee routine is, it's crazy, but I never thought I'd get that much into, into coffee. So. All right. So I can definitely go there with you. <laughs> is it all drip press? Are you doing a range I, of different methods? A range. So, you know, French press some, and then I've really gotten into, into drip and pour over. And so I'm doing a little of that and different type of beans. So you got a good grinder too. I did. Experimenting with different fineness of the, of the grind. I bought a fancy grinder, bought a fancy kettle, way too much fancy coffee equipment. My wife would say. That's great. (laughs) Oh yeah. Everybody's taking up new hobbies. Our, one of our new ones was, was karaoke. Oh, we actually already had our coffee pretty dialed with, I have a commercial espresso maker, so we're pretty into it here. And we have, my wife and I have been for a really long time. So that wasn't anything new for us for the pandemic, but yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That That's, that's one thing. And then on the opposite spectrum, the other thing that I started about six months ago and has been just incredible is, is actually getting into meditation and I do a daily meditation every day. 
I actually use the Inkscape app. I'm a big proponent. I'm, I'm not, this is not a paid hashtag paid ad here at all, <laughs> no. but I love it. It's, it's a part of my routine now and it's just really centering and especially being on all these zoom calls and you've got stress, anxiety. It is a, a real, a real nice reset during the day. I love that. Very cool. So let's dive in then. You've been on the circuit, on the podcast circuit the last year or so, helped by the pandemic, but also really driven by what you've been doing at Church's Chicken. But first, you know, before we dive into the into the tech and the digital transformation, just set the table. What's the Church's Chicken footprint look like? And more importantly, how do you differentiate the brand and in what's now a very competitive chicken category? Sure. So churches, we are an almost 70-year-old, iconic QSR brand. 1952, we were founded in San Antonio, Texas. And our footprint is a little less than a 1,000 restaurants. We start in the mid-Atlantic, kind of swing through the southeast. We have a big presence in the south-central part of the U.S. So Texas has about a third of our restaurants. And then we have a strong presence when you continue west all the way up to the northwest. So a, a very strong presence in there. But as we think about differentiation and how are we different than other chicken players, other QSRs, us, it comes down into our heritage and our food. And I'll say our tagline is bringing that down home flavor. And that's something that we do really well. We make handmade honey butter biscuits in-house every single day. And I know they are because when I did my in-store training, I was back there stirring and scooping and baking we make fried okra, jalapeno cheese bombers, and then all of our fried chicken and tenders are all small batch made. So they're constantly making them throughout the day. So typically when a guest is getting chicken, it just came out of the fryer and it was fresh made. And then what everyone wants to talk about now is, is chicken sandwiches. Yeah, and- I was going to go there right away. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you have the best chicken sandwich that there is, right? I believe it. And a lot of our guests <laughs> will say, say that it is too. We launched our chicken sandwich in October of last year. And our differentiator there is we have a a honey butter bun and fans love it. It's been a huge, huge hit for us as a brand. And actually just yesterday, we won a Thrillist Award for our pickles on our chicken sandwich. We won the most valuable pickles. So you got to have a great pickle. You got to have a great bun. And people love it. So if you haven't had it, it's worth a try. I love the pickle flavor on sandwiches. I think that's key. Even restaurants that that don't do never done chicken before. They're doing a chicken sandwich. Why not? Right. It seems like that's the thing to do right now. Just kind of like follow on that trend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now let's get into the nitty gritty of, of what you do. So you've been in this role for just over two years now. My understanding is that you've been working on pretty much a, a complete digital transformation throughout that entire time. Is, is that accurate? That is a very accurate statement that when, when I came in at the end of 2018, it was really to, to build the function of digital marketing and also to take the brand through a, a multi-phase transformation. Yeah. So like, where was it when you got there? Was, was there just pretty much zero digital? I wouldn't say zero digital. I'd say the key term that I like to say is, is disparate. We had disparate marketing strategies, technology, data. They all lived in silos and they really weren't working together. And there wasn't an overarching strategy with them all. And there was activity that was happening, but it just really wasn't having an impact. It wasn't driving really any business. And so that's where we kind of almost had to take a step back and reset and say, where do we want to be? And then how do we build to get there so that 
digital does have a much bigger impact on on driving sales to our restaurants. And I mean, has ROI been kind of at the at the center of everything that you do digitally, or is it just a kind of a feature of digital? I think ROI in certain areas. I'll say that we try to look at digital as a sum of all the parts. When you break down all the individual parts, we'll look at different ROIs of, of different parts of the business. But ultimately, it's all driving to those the top line sales. And a bigger part that I focus on, I say, is, is attribution. Is how are all the channels attributing to that consumer decision to show up to churches? And some of them may be second or third on the list. Some of them may be tied with others. You know, some channels and activities may be the sole attributor. So we really have to measure and look differently at it all. But when we're spending, sure, ROI is in there. We're always looking to say, hey, are we seeing a positive return on those dollars that we're investing? So then let's go through how one might approach and how you approached the digital transformation. I'm sure you've learned a ton along the way in this journey. So when you take that step back and you're looking at all the different things in digital that you have to do, you've got online ordering and, and CRM and email and SMS and digital ads and, and the website, it really is, you know, I've seen some graphs from McKinsey that show just a, an amazing network of different solutions that all have to communicate with one another. And I don't know that anybody's actually really gotten there with like perfection. I think we're all still progressing toward that. But where did you start and how did you think about sequencing these different modules or functions? Yeah, I don't think anyone has it 100% figured out, especially the starting point is different at every single brand. And that's what's, that's what's unique. So when coming in the churches, I really sequenced it into three phases. But in each of those phases, I had to focus on long-term building blocks, and then I had short-term revenue drivers. Because you really can't do all one or all the other. Otherwise, you really don't make progress forward. So it was, it was really a combination there. And in phase one, which was year one, we called that our connect phase. And so that was where we focused on a little more bottom of the funnel. I say demand capturing, where it's looking at relaunching our website, relaunching how we think about search and content and listings, standing up e-commerce with delivery and online ordering. So there's so many people that are coming in and churches is in their consideration set and they're trying to find a meal and we just were letting them fall through the funnel and it was, we just got to grab those. They were easy targets and it was just sharing up that bottom. And then we also focused on the top. So we're looking at our paid media strategy and how do we refocus that moving much more into digital and how we use different channels. And so it was really top and bottom of the funnel. And that's where say the, the building blocks were at the bottom and the, the top was a combination of those building blocks and short-term revenue drivers. Let me just go off on a, on a short, brief little tangent there. Sure. When you arrived, were the delivery service providers already in the mix with churches, or was that something that you needed to plug in already? We had just started testing with Uber Eats. So we had been running some Uber pilots for about four to six months before I came in. And it was proving out of understanding what's that channel look like with our business? What's the type of customer? How much that business makes sense? How do, where do we want to get it to? And then when I came in, we looked at, okay, how do we scale this? How do we grow it? How do we think about channel strategy, expanding it to the franchise system? And then with that, the whole solution of 
all the technology solutions at the restaurant and integrations and all that kind of came, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, phase three, four, five. Yeah. So then you're definitely looking at it as its own channel. It's something you want to embrace, but it's also not a channel where you want to actually send your customers, right? Like that seems to be the the dividing line, like use it, let Uber Eats and, and the like market to people to drive them to churches, but we don't need to send our customers to them. Is that the position that you've kind of staked out? Yes and no. I'd say we more think about it as as channel marketing. And it's kind of taking a view outside of QSR and almost taking of it similar to a hospitality brand where you've got different modes of taking that order, right? And different channels have different levels of profitability. So as long as we know how much we want to get out of that channel, then it's okay to drive people there. So right now to get delivery, the only way through is with a DoorDash or an Uber Eats or, or a Grubhub. And there's many customers that that is their preferred way. And so I'm okay taking that order from them. Yes, I prefer for them to order ahead or, or show up at our restaurant. But if that's a hurdle that we can't get over, then yeah, I want to I want to take that order. But I also know how much how big I want to grow that channel as a brand. And so I'd say as we think about it from that channel perspective, that's how we think about marketing. There's certain tactics that drive us to to drive through. There's a lot that's focused on order ahead. And then there's others that are all about convenience through delivery. Yeah, I got that. But did you have online ordering stood up before? Was that stood up before you got there or was, was that a big piece for you? That was a big piece. That was day one. We had our online ordering kickoff meeting. So it was all right. That was day one of your of your when you started. Day one, one p.m. It was the the kickoff meeting to start the the project plan. Contract had been signed, and, and we were off and running. Yeah, that seems to be so critical because that was you know that was that was before the pandemic, right? So mm-hmm. you guys had a pretty good head start on that coming in, right? Like when it actually hit, we did. We got through the first phase of our transformation in nineteen. And then when we moved to our second phase last year, we called it our calibrate phase. That was really where we focused on of expanding e-commerce, relaunching things like CRM and our mobile app, and uh, relaunched our social playbook in the beginning of the year and some other web conversion tactics. So we had a lot that was onboarding and about to start right when kind of COVID came in in March and April. So we were pretty well set up to be able to add these tactics in because they were already being built and underway. But I say if if COVID would have happened six months earlier, it's probably a different story where we're really scrambling to to change and make updates and, and add stuff in. So honestly, just got real lucky with, with the timing that, that all that kind of happened at once. They got lucky they hired you when they did, I guess. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> It was just in time. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that person gets a pat on the back. So what, what stood up so far? What boxes have you, have you checked off in the transformation? We've done a lot. I'd say online ordering. We've stood up those delivery partnerships. We've got technology to, to aggregate all of that together, which is a big deal for those of us in the restaurant space to ease on operations. Stood up a new website, restaurant listings and content. We launched a new social playbook mobile app, email, and then we also have been rolling out a new point of sale. And tied with that, we've launched a customer database platform that then is yep. pairs into a data CDP. That, yeah. CDP that then pairs into a data lake that goes into CRM. And so it's a lot of acronyms, but it's kind of cool to have all these systems to go from the data coming in all the way to get us to some level of 
behavioral marketing on the output. So that's been a big part of all of this is how do we take all the pieces of technology and marketing, have them all talk, connect from a data perspective and all work together. So there's really no silos. That's really impressive. And how great to be able to kind of start with a blank slate because some of these technologies are are new. They've, you know, a lot of them are either, you know, came out in the last few years or companies pivoted into these new technologies in the past three years. It sounds like the machine is is really humming right now, huh? It is. We've got the we've got the engine built and now we're just flowing the the data in and starting to really activate it and, and run the engine. This is a fun year for us. Our year was called conquesting in our digital journey. And this is really what it's about. It's all about the activation and how can we get smarter with marketing and how we can drive more ROI, right? Drive more people in and use the tools that we built to drive those drive that revenue. Let's talk about that uh, social playbook. You mentioned that a couple times. Let's go into some more detail there. Are you are you doing some innovative stuff around that? I think so. From a social playbook perspective, we, we brought in a new agency. And that was one of the first things we did is we, we built this playbook. And let me tell you, it's it's robust. It's like a phone book. It's like 88 pages long, but it covers everything. It covers everything from channel strategy to brand personality, tone, visual, content framework. So what is the role of each of our channels? What is a great post in Instagram versus Facebook versus Twitter look like? And spoiler alert, they're all very different. Community management, crisis management, influencers, how we measure. And so it level sets us all on those pieces. And then it makes it really easy to think about what we're doing in community management, how we're doing surprise and delight when we're adding influencers in, what we're doing from a creative perspective. And so it, we've got a starting point where it's not having to reinvent itself every time. And we had some huge gains in 2020, really focused on engagement, growing our fan base, and just showing the love to our, our church's fans. We call them our day ones. And that's a big part of what we do in social is focus on those day ones and give that love back to our fans. So then leadership is buying into engagement as having inherent value to the brand. Any thoughts on how you're specifically measuring and valuing that? Yeah, we actually have a proprietary performance index that we developed with the playbook. And it pulls in everything from reach to engagement to sentiment. And, and we're tracking all of those separately, but also we're able to look at almost every single thing we do with this, we call it our PII score, and then it, it level sets it across everything else to say, hey, what's really working for us and what's not? But like last week, we had our, our 69th birthday, and we did a birthday bash on Facebook where we asked our fans to wish us a happy birthday, to celebrate with us in the comments, and then we gave away prizes to different people. We had over 2,000 engagements in 19 minutes and 52 seconds. Like, If you give the people <laughs> the chance, they're going to jump on it, and, and they love to engage with us. Wow. That is really nice. Yeah. You know, you had to take a pretty fresh approach to digital. Did the brand itself also need a refresh and, and repositioning in parallel? Were you doing that all along the same time? Yeah, luckily that work had started in, in 18. And I came in on kind of the, the last third of it, but we've been going through updated brand positioning that was really centered in our Texas heritage and that led us to our tagline, bringing that down home flavor. Had everything from updated visual to iconography, personality, tone. And so that was really beneficial when we started the digital transformation. 
because we were able to leverage all of that brand book and layer that on top of everything we're doing from a channel strategy, from a technology perspective. Otherwise, if we didn't, if it was parallel pathing, we're starting one way and then we're having to revamp and revise and, and rethink. And so that was one real advantage that we had when we started the transformation. All right. Yeah. So you definitely need that as a foundation because the digital transformation really doesn't have the the necessary guidance that it needs if you don't have that in place. A hundred percent. Got yep. it. What's the next phase coming up in, in the transformation then? I'd say it's around activation. I like to say we built this house and we're trying to make it a smart home now. And it's all about, <laughs> it's, like all about it's all about automation and and a focus on personalization and behavioral marketing. So how do we get the right message to that guest, whether it's around product, whether it's around day part, time of day, whether it's offer driven, whether it's reminders, whether that through paid media, through our CRM channels, there's too much, well, I can say batch and blast that's out there. Same message for everybody. We send out marketing messages and, and assume that everybody loves chicken tenders. Not everyone loves chicken tenders. Some people like a chicken sandwich or some people like chicken wings or bone-in fried chicken. And so if we can get to a lot closer of two to three ways to personalize based on that behavior, that's what makes marketing work really, really hard. I like to say people don't hate advertising. They just want it more personalized and more relevant to them. And that's really the journey that we're working on this year and going to continue on over the next you know, 24, 36 months as a brand. I mean, it's interesting as a consumer of restaurant food, I think everybody relates to the fact that you gravitate toward a certain part of the menu every single time, right? And you're sending those signals to the brand in so many different forms. And as long as you can capture that data, it's easy to start personalizing around that and kind of categorize and segment your your customers based on different menu items. Because, I mean, for me, a lot of the menu is just irrelevant, right? Because I would mm-hmm. never order those things for whatever reason. I've just, these are the things that I order at this restaurant. And those are the things I want to hear about, I guess. Yeah. And it's interesting. I read this article just the other day in Harvard Biz- Business Review. And I think it was a CMO from Walmart talked about functional and emotional loyalty. And that emotional loyalty, if, if you're, you already love churches, but us being able to talk to you about your favorite products or that you always come in for lunch or that you're always here for Sunday, Sunday dinner or using that preferred channel, that's the stuff that gets people to really buy into a brand emotionally, not just the functional side of I'm hungry and I need somewhere to eat, right? And churches is good, so I'll, I'll go there. I really love this idea of this emotional loyalty. And a lot of that comes from from behavior. People are telling us their behaviors every single day. So that's information that they kind of expect us to use. Yeah. I think they appreciate it when you do consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just going to be more relevant. Let's get a, a little bit more tactical. And I want to talk about your approach and maybe appreciation for Google My Business, right? Because I've actually recently I've always seen Google My Business through the kind of third-party platforms, but recently I've actually had a chance to get in with a friend's restaurant who's got like 20 locations. I mean, I was just blown away by the amount of data that GMB has. I mean, especially for just for 20 locations, you've got almost like a thousand. Are, are these data leveling up to the CMO? Because a lot of times they're not, it doesn't seem that sexy. It's not like a big splashy ad campaign, but like these are customers, like it'll tell you like 
here's the zip codes that people clicked for directions from to get to this restaurant. Like you could get down to that level of granularity and all the search terms and all the clicks for directions, which you can really put dollar amounts, right? If somebody's clicking for directions, how often do you as a consumer click for directions and don't actually go there, right? So talk to me a little bit about that as a almost, a, I mean, I think it's a huge channel, but the CMO might think of it as like a, a small channel, right? I think that's a fair sentiment. I mean, myself and my team, we spend a lot of time looking at our GMB data. We've got a, a dashboard set up that pulls a lot of it in. And I'm looking at everything from customer journey of where are they coming from? What's going on in that journey to get to a conversion point? What are they looking for from a discovery perspective? So there's so many great nuggets and insights that you can pull out of that to aggregate up. I think it's different, like you say, when you're looking at an individual or multi-locations, a few versus a lot. But we're able to aggregate a lot of that up to then make changes. And there might be changes that we look at from content, from what we're buying in paid search to to also our, our restaurant pages. What other type of content do we need to put on there so that we should we show up higher in, in organic search? So we use that a lot. And then a lot of times what we'll end up doing is just pulling together those key insights. And those are insights that are shared with the, the broader brand team, our CMO, franchisees, things like that. But even a franchise means we'll drill it down sometimes to like very specific stuff just to show them the power of what information is out there. Yeah, well, actually, one of the insights that I got from looking at just this like set of twenty locations—they're all in, in in South Florida—and it was it was interesting that the locations that were in big touristy areas, the top search terms were generic mm-hmm. category keywords because people didn't know what brand to look for, and then when they were in more kind of like traditional non-touristy areas, they were brand searches, right? So they were like just. Like being able to look at those tourist locations and be like, all right, those are the ones where we can really move the needle by ranking for, in your case, like chicken sandwich. You got to be competing and doing everything you can to win and be in the top three of the the Google three pack for that search term. Are you guys getting down to that level of granularity and and strategy? We're working on it. So that that was a big part of, we were showing up on when we first started on, on the second page in unbranded search originally. So we were able to make some big strides and move up five or six spots, get on the first page. But there's so many factors that play into that, right? That's around content. It's around your reputation. It's around all of these elements. And I'd say, you know, we're focused on three to four of those. There's still some that we've got a ways to go. And it's evolving too, as the algorithm evolves <laughs> you've got to evolve yeah, it, it with could it, actually so. <laughs> it could actually be reduced to a two-pack from what i'm hearing yeah ex- exactly and even hearing things around site speed is becoming more and more important and and other things that are that are playing into that so we do a couple audits a year we do about two two seo audits a year to really say where are those small opportunities we focus on them we fix them and we add to them and then we we measure again and that seems to be working pretty well for us Another topic is actually this this article that I wrote for Forbes called CMOs Need to Think and Act Locally in the Age of COVID and Beyond. I mean, when we went into the pandemic, brands that were really equipped to to communicate at the county level, because that's really where a lot of the regulations were, were able to communicate about whether or not they were open, closed, outdoor, seating, takeout, curbside, all those kinds of things were, were really critical. But I think that in many ways trained consumers about their local church's chicken. 
as opposed to being, you know, a national brand. How are you guys thinking or activating at the franchisee or, or single store level going forward? It's a combination of, I'd say, brand and, and franchisee. We really manage everything from the digital perspective. So we're updating what they what they have in their Google listings, on their restaurant pages. We also do a lot of very restaurant-specific promotions that, that are listed for them of what is your grande meal at this restaurant versus another. So I'd say those are the areas that, that we're really leaning on. And then we work with them at their four blocks, four miles. So four walls, four blocks, four miles from an LSM perspective. And that's really what they should be owning, right? We have a field team that supports that too. So I say those two combinations really help. And as long as you've got the same information at both levels, then you're able to make sure there's continuity, no matter how the guest is looking to find out information. Oh, I, I love that. Four walls, four blocks, four miles. That that should be the standard. Every uh, brick and mortar brand should embrace that for sure. Did you come up with that? <laughs> I, I did not. I will be honest. I, I stole that from my hotel days. That used to be a, a hotel sales thing was you have to own your your four walls and then your four blocks and then you go out to your four miles. And that was how hotel sales folks would get out and really prospect and, and go after their territories. And so, and, and it really applies to local store marketing too. So, Are the franchisees encouraged or expected to do a lot of that LSM and is any of that via digital? Uh, I'd say it's highly encouraged. You always want your franchisees and your general managers to be involved in the community. It, it, it ties to that emotional loyalty. Most of the digital kind of gets farmed back up to us. So if they're interested in, in doing something, they'll make updates to their profiles. Sometimes if there's something going on locally that we're going to support from a, a social media or a PR perspective. So we really try to partner with them. Same with everything from from offers. We will do digital offers for them and things like that. But I'd say the, the majority is around at that local level. And are you also centralizing the reputation management function in terms of responding to reviews or are you not responding to reviews? Where do you stand on that one? It's a combination. There is some response happening in there, but we are looking to to centralize that in the future. That's in this next stage of the roadmap for mm-hmm. us. Nice. It's super important. It's become more and more important. We had to build some of those building blocks first. And now that we've got those building blocks, this is one of those those next layers or levers that, that come on top of those. Yeah, and the digital sequencing. Nice. That's good to understand that, you know, in the digital transformation roadmap, that is definitely one of the things that's coming kind of later in the process. Whereas online ordering first, <laughs> right? And then a whole bunch mm-hmm. of stuff, CDP, And reputation would kind of follow that, whether or not that's managed centrally, which is probably how most brands do it, or distributing it out to actually let the franchisees respond to the reviews with some kind of oversight, right? Exactly. And I think it's interesting by even restaurant category of reputation management probably moves a little earlier if you're talking about a casual dining brand or even a fast casual, and maybe a smidge later when you're talking about a QSR. So some of that too is just is pure volume, but also it's just part of that experience because those fast casual and casual brands are very high touch brands, right? And so the experience is different than than a church is where you're probably coming through the drive through the majority of the time. You know, I think certain categories of brands, you probably need to flex certain parts of the transformation where it's a little more important for some of those other categories. That's great. I mean, it's really just amazing to see it actually happen, like the full soup to nuts digital transformation. I think that's 
one of the reasons why a lot of people are hitting you up to hear your story. A lot of brands were halfway there and COVID made them, you know, accelerated it, but you were able to start with a blank slate pre-COVID, time that perfectly, <laughs> it seems, <laughs> to get yourself ready for that unexpected crisis and really, really accelerate through it. Are you seeing any kind of leading indicators of coming out of the pandemic and any of your numbers? Yeah, I think we're, we're starting to trend positively. And we were set up because we're a pretty high volume drive through brand already that most of our restaurants always had that outlet. So we always had the drive through. We had delivery partnerships set up. We've been rolling out order ahead. And so a lot of the channel strategy, we didn't have to stand up much of the channel strategy. It was more of a shift of behavior for our guests. Yeah, but we're definitely seeing a positive behavior from our guests. And, and also we sell a lot of of family meals that are a great value. And so we do play in, the, in that value game. And we've continued to come out with new flavors, new LTOs, new promotions, continue to, to make news. And I think that's something when COVID first started, it kind of got quiet. And it was like, oh, are, are the LTOs going to go away? Are the promotions? And and we came back with our first one in, in July and really have just kept going because consumers want differentiation. They want news from brands, right? They're kind of tired of the monotony but they also want a great value. So we have a, a lot of things I'd say stacked in our benefit as a brand and hopefully just continue with, with some of this momentum that we've gained over the last year, year and a half. And it flows through depending on what consumers decide to do with their behavior as we get to the back half of the year. Yeah. I think one of the insights I had with this small chain in Florida, again, that was only 20 locations, but I saw in the GMB data, a pretty huge lift in clicks for directions over the past 30 days, you know, and because with Florida opening up, one being one of the first states, you saw clicks to call were down and clicks for directions were up because people were coming back out. And, you know, before they would be calling to place an order or to place Uber Eats or something for delivery. And now they actually want to go to the restaurant, whether that's for dine-in or, or takeout. But I think that's going to be an interesting data point to look at as everything starts to open up, people are going to want to go to the restaurant, you know, even if it's easier to have it delivered, people just want to switch things up, right? Exactly. And they'll probably have restaurants that say, this is going to be my experience restaurant. This is going to be my delivered at home restaurant. And here's my restaurant still. I'm just going to order ahead and, and pick up on the way home from work or while I'm out and about. And so as consumers have gotten really comfortable using all three channels or all three modes, I think you'll, we're going to start to see them start to segment restaurants based on their behavior into those kind of channels. Because there's definitely restaurants that, that I go to that I'll never go and stand in line and order again. I'm always going to order online now. Now it's a habit. But there's other restaurants that I've been getting delivery from. You know what? I'd rather go there and eat. And that behavior is going to shift pretty quickly. I want to ask about some advice for younger marketers specifically in digital. And it's interesting that, you know, this kind of next generation is going to be native to all of these new behaviors that we're, you know, kind of immigrants to. We're having to adapt to this, but like, this is just, they know this intimately. This is just, they take it for granted, kind of like us, like adapting to smartphones when they came <laughs> out, but like our kids, like they pick them up and mm -hmm. they don't know a world before there were smartphones. So with that kind of context, how are you advising younger marketers that are coming in to digital? It sounds like you might be 
pushing them toward more kind of behavioral psychology <laughs> to round out their career a bit? Yeah, I'd say there's two areas. And I work with all my team members on this. We've got personal development plans. And there's two buckets. I call them the hard skills and the soft skills. And the hard skills are those things around content, media, analytics, right? All the, the marketing tactics, but also not only learning that for digital, but starting to spend time on the brand side. So you know, it's okay to, to zigzag a little in your career and go, go do a stint working on brand or working on product or working on a different part of the business. You've got to have breadth and depth. And I think a lot of digital marketers just really focus on depth and you're really good at one to two things. But that means that get okay at four or five other things and it's going to make you a really strong marketer. And then the other part is the soft skills. And this is where I spend a lot of development time. And it's around things like presentation skills. How do you get confident being able to talk in front of a crowd, being able to share a point of view, being able to inspire emotional intelligence and managing a team? How do you manage your time as a first-time manager along with your team members' times? Because there's transitions in your career and no one tells you how to do it, Right. You got you have to figure yeah. that stuff out. So I, I spend a lot of time doing that, and then also trying to push people to say, "Get out of your bubble. You got to get out there and network. You got to get involved with organizations in your in your city, and being part of those networks and, and learning outside of of your own brand or of your own office. That's where you start to really learn and you start to strategically think. And so I spend a lot of time on the soft skills, trying to push people towards those because those are the things that are going to make the difference. If you want to make that jump from manager to director, director to VP, and get up there. You could be the best tactician if possible. If you don't have those soft skills, it doesn't matter. There's The ceiling's going to be low. I couldn't agree more on that. I think that's very uh, helpful advice and guidance. And I would also refer people to a great episode of the Think with Google podcast. Currently, it's the most recent episode, but it's about the CMO. And they interview a number of CMOs about the challenge of essentially justifying their existence to the rest of the C-suite and the board, right? And it kind of comes back to your presentation skills and your communication skills because it's becoming, the CMO is the shortest tenured executive in the C-suite. And it's always been a challenge to communicate what they're doing to drive value for the business to the CEO and the board. And it's a great episode though that kind of actually even gets some of the board perspective, what they want to hear from marketers and from the CMO. So, but yeah, if you don't have those skills, you're certainly not going to be able to do that. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. That sounds real interesting. Yeah. It's really good. I was like, well, you know, cause I subscribe to it, but they don't do a lot of episodes, mm-hmm. not a high frequency podcast, but all of a sudden it just popped up and it was super relevant. So I think I just listened to it yesterday, actually. Let's wrap up with the lightning round, a few different topics, kind of quick reaction, and how about Generation Z? Oh, Gen Z. <laughs> uh, empathy, enthusiasm, and impact. So big impact. All right. How about TikTok? <laughs> Addicting and a snowball. It's a snowball. It keeps rolling, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I'm amazed that it continues to grow. Is that in the playbook yet? It is in there. We're not super active in TikTok. We're doing more with TikTok influencers. I still think it's a place some brands have kind of figured out. It is a different animal from a brand perspective. And I'd say the Instagram, Facebooks, Twitters of the world work really, really hard for us. 
but it is potential for the future. And then how about Yelp? I'd say evaluate it by your brand. Yelp's kind of similar to what I talked about with reputation management. For some brands, it has a really, really high impact. If you're a local brand, if you're a casual dining, if you're an experience-based brand, and people still use Yelp a ton, especially Gen Zs. It's kind of like come full circle around for, for them. Oh, using really? It. I didn't even yeah. realize that. I hear more and more Gen Zs talking about, oh, look this place up on Yelp when they're visiting, when they're traveling, looking at reviews. So I'd say if you're that type of brand, that's somewhere that you definitely want to invest some time and manage. I think when you get down to kind of the the mass brands like a, like a QSR, it has a little less of an impact, but it's still an important channel for us. Then the final question is, like, are there other leaders in multi-unit enterprise that you admire and would want to see interviewed on this podcast? Yeah, there, there's a ton that are out there. There's some really smart people in the QSR world. It's funny, as I was looking through who had been on this before, you've checked a lot of names off the list like Andrew and, and Aaron and, and Joanne and Kristen. And I've worked with a number of these different people, Atlanta being kind of the, the yeah, restaurant hotbed. Really Everyone is. kind of works their way around. And I was like, man, you've, you've <laughs> brought a lot on here. So it's tough for me to, to think about, but I'm sure that there's a handful that, that are out there. There's some real smart up-and-comers that are, that are managers, directors, that are a number of brands that are doing some, some really cool stuff. And I say, keep an eye out for some of these smaller brands and some of these up-and-coming fast casual brands. Like They're doing some really great work and they're making that leapfrog because they're building it from scratch. Those new brands certainly are interesting because they, like you, they've, they've got this blank slate to start with. They're not saddled with a bunch of legacy <laughs> technology and kind of on-premise you know, software and stuff like that that they have to rip out and replace. They just, they're just off to the races. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alan McGee, thanks so much for sharing your story. Congrats on your success. And I look forward to following it into the next phase. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate the time and I've enjoyed our conversation. And for everyone out there, check out our churches, try our chicken sandwich, check us out on social media and, and hope to hear from you. All right. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on LinkedIn and to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter at clickstobricks.fm for exclusive content and previews of upcoming shows. I'm your host, Rob Reed, and this is Clicks to Bricks, a podcast about multi-location marketing. Mm-hmm.